0: Tyler, Phil, and Boris So Canon, it's Canon, it's all In Canon Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the It's Canon podcast We're doing something a little special today we're going to have a little bit of fun today as we talk all things Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 1, Chapter 9. I am your host, I'm Boris, and today we are joined by Phil. Oh man, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we are could, all they, st- could they complicate it anymore? No, not at all. We have a guest here with us. We do have a, we guest. Have a guest here with us. We have Carl Milroy from Red Thread Brewing Carl, introduce yourself
2: How are we doing guys? Yeah, Carl uh, from Red Thread Brewing So we're like a, a local craft brewing company uh, We make sort of well-balanced, um, sessionable beers That people tend to enjoy And um, yeah, have, have fun doing that and We're also uh, Star Wars fans too Which is probably why we're here
0: <laughs> Exactly that's exactly it So thanks again for coming on uh, the, Essentially what we're going to do Is we're going to do We're going to chat all things Mandalorian Episode 9 We're going to go deep in spoilers So if you have not watched The episode just yet You may want to stop this podcast Pause it Watch the episode Come back And listen to us chat all about it
1: Yeah. uh, Spoiler heavy, everyone. So I think we've universally decided that Mando Mondays are now going to be spoiler Mondays. So when you're listening to the show, it is advised you watch it. (laughs) Uh, This week's show was a little bit more substantial than previous episodes that we've had. It bounded past that half hour mark. Uh, Not huge, though. Not as much as I thought it would. But we're going to talk about we're going to break it down. And get our reactions uh, out there to you and uh, want to hear from you guys about what you thought or if you uh, don't really like any of the opinions, let us know. You know, we want to we want to we wanna know more about how this is all going over for everybody, because I think I'm safe to say I'm pretty satisfied.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Carl, you were happy
2: um season two yeah i would say so i'm i'm actually going to um throw it out there i wasn't a huge fan of of season one um oh. and i think um maybe a couple reasons like i felt like yeah the episodes are maybe a little too short um and i know um like i guess he, you know they were going for a bit of that western feel as well like john john favreau uh, i think the main i think the issue for me was probably uh hyped up too much, right? Like I think there was just yeah. such a build up and I ended up seeing it not right away and reading so much on the internet and social media I was like, oh my gosh, there's like a baby Yoda and this is gonna be the best thing ever and it's good reviews. And then I think when I saw it, I was like, oh all right, I liked it, but
0: Yeah, that's fair. Boris? Yeah, no, I um overall I'm happy, I'm satisfied. You know, not every episode from season one was great. Um but I find that, you know, the the pacing The content, um, the overall cliffhanger was very exciting for Chapter 9. So I'm actually really looking forward to the rest of the season right now.
1: Yeah, and and really, I guess we'll start at the beginning here. And we see basically Mando um, returning to Tatooine, which I think is probably – I was thinking about this yesterday – Probably the most visited planet in Star Wars Yeah Like the amount of events prequel wise um, Just with the original series And throughout all these add-ons It's got to be the least mystical Star Wars place there is In the Star Wars universe However, that being said One of the things that I did enjoy about this episode And we're going to get into it here Is just how much extra they were able to deliver In this episode that really seemed like it wasn't too much of fan service. So, you know, we see Vando basically uh, uh, returning back to Tatooine, landing in that port, and and meeting up with the mechanic lady, and I apologize to all the sweaty Star Wars nerds, I forget her name. Um, but anyhow, and, and actually agreeing to letting the droids work on his ship, the Razor Crest, which I think really signifies some character growth. Um, from last season where he was so dead set against droids that he allowed them to do a, a once over on, his, on the Razor Crest and, and proceed with the typical shenanigans. There was also you know a little, little bit of, of the reuni- uh, return with Baby Yoda and, and the mechanic who cared for him basically that whole episode. It was episode five. And there is a lot of linkage between episode five and this one, which is subtle. I guess and that's what we're going to get down to in terms of opening this up. But did uh anyone notice anything out of that that opening little like first 10 minutes beyond the the this is what happened last season and and the establishing of of the return to Tatooine. Anybody have any thoughts on that?
2: I loved how they they went back, right? Like that's, you know, I th- I think they played a lot of Homage to the first, uh, the first original films. And like you say, they probably tried to draw in the, the fans a bit. So, uh, adding some of those elements, um, was, was a great move. I didn't notice, yeah, I don't think anything other than you say, like just the little subtleties, letting the droids now work on his ship and mm-hmm. showing how he's, he's changed for sure.
1: Uh, yeah. And the one thing that I did kind of notice, and I had to go back and rewatch it, uh, just to know the exact placement of it was basically, um, the fact that R5D4 made a return And this was the original yeah. droid that, that Luke had chosen And the motivator was bad and it blew In A New Hope And they even had it down to the fact that There was scarring or, or scorch marks On R5D4's head Where that motivator blew um, I thought that that was a, a bit A bit obvious but, You know not too subtle of, a, of an inclusion And we have to mention as well this is the first episode that Jon Favreau has actually directed out of The Mandalorian. Last season, he had guest directors for every episode, so I think this one was an important one for him to get in and establish that he is a, a bona fide Star Wars, you know, director, creator, uh, jewel of Disney at this point. Boris, you you see anything? You you catching anything with those eagle eyes, or you were just like, I don't give a crap?
0: No, at that point. <clears throat> I think I was still just uh, being entertained with the fact that we do have a new season, Um, so, you know, I was just paying attention to the dialogue, uh, you know, outside of the subtleties and those homages that you guys have already mentioned. I haven't really, uh, didn't take anything new, but again, one thing that I did appreciate was the fact that they Kind of do already link to two seasons Together you see growth At this point point. Um, and yeah we're kind of getting The foundation Of what the rest of the episode Is going to bring to us
1: Exactly so Basically You know at this point Mando is Is looking for A Mandalorian and there is a Vagueness about this in in terms of, well, I guess the opening sequence was really the Gimmerian guard fight and, and and all that. Which, there was a lot of little nuggets in there. Um, but it right, got yeah. the direction. Yeah, with John Luguziasmo as as the Cyclops guy. Um, there was a lot of... Um, th- that was basically where he found his mission to, to go and get to Tatooine to look for a Mandalorian. And I think that there was vagueness in that. So, it, it's a question of, is he looking for a Mandalorian on Tatooine because that's our last known whereabouts or is he looking for a specific Mandalorian? Like, is he, it? it just really, to me, it was just like, it's just a little bit vague because it's just using that word. And is it a person? Is it things that Mandalorians have like armor and whatnot? And we have a fast forward at that. Like we, we, we basically see him going out to this spot, very similar to Kamino in the prequels where it's like, it's not on a map, but he goes out to this Moss port And yeah, sure enough There's this encampment And right away, right off the bat We've got Timothy Oliphant In the armor In Boba Fett's armor Unmistakable I was a little bit shocked At the the pacing of that That it wasn't something that was teased Over multiple episodes Because I think that that's an asset for Disney But it was interesting For me at least To see them go for the throat and have that confrontation right at the beginning, right? Like, we, we got a lot of story and set up in a very short amount of time because at that point, we have a crate uh, a dragon flow through the city and eat a banta. And it sets up this whole communi- community that they're going to be creating and, and fighting for. Anybody with some thoughts on that breakout or that, that, that exciting kind of reveal?
2: Yeah, I liked it. Like, like you say, it um, they they threw it in there right away, right? Having like, wow, he found him so quickly. Like the other Mandalorian, like what's going to happen. Like right away, my brain was like, oh my gosh, what are these two Mandalorians now going to do together as a team? Like, boom. Um, and obviously, that wasn't the case, right? So um, maybe that was maybe that was a good thing. Um, but you know, you, you talked about it earlier. You know, when they, when he was searching for the Mandalorian, um, I wonder if that was like. Is was that the was that being very specific because that's sort of the last known um, spot for Mandalorian that we've seen as fans right having Boba, you know, uh, go down in the Sarlacc pit. So was that was that kind of obvious or was it or was it not? I wonder.
1: Yeah it it really I just question that relay of information and the intention behind it. So regardless. It ends up in the fan favorite because I know that when I was growing up, I think probably my favorite action figure in Star Wars was Boba Fett. Easily just for his sheer looks,
2: right? Oh yeah, easily. I still have one. Big
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's probably my most collected collectible. Um and the thing I desire the most out of out of the collectibles that I pursue with the 100%. most reckless abandon with my wallet. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Boris, were you a Boba Fett fan?
0: I was, but not the biggest of fans. Like I wasn't obsessed um with him like a lot of people are. Um I didn't really mm-hmm. have any of his toys. But, you know, he he was a character that was cool looking. You know, he was a character that, you know, you kind of wanted to know more of for me. But, you know, he wasn't kind of like the end all be all character like he is for a lot of people. My end all be all character would probably be R2. Wow.
1: Wow. Interesting choice.
2: <laughs> Didn't expect that. Yeah. Yeah. For me growing up, it, it was Boba, right? Like he, there was such mystery around him. He was yep. so cool. We knew so little about him.
1: Yeah, it's almost like that Phasma positioning that they did where it's like, okay, the looks are there, the hook is in, and it's a question of do I gorge myself on it, or what are they going to do with the character? And I think that, that a lot of the fans are probably most upset about how much actual screen time Boba Fett did get in two movies originally, that we had to wait so long in order for them to be fully realized in you know, kind of the prequels and even then it didn't I was a little bit conflicted about that whole situation. It just seemed to be a little, you know, it's tough going back and filling in the story like that. We know the the ending. We
2: mm-hmm. know the
1: inevitability at that point. But yeah, it was like Carl was saying, it was an absolutely huge character for us. And it kind of got revealed in the in the, you know, the books and that that expanded universe that Boba Fett got an amazing backstory and, and was basically fantasized about or, or whatever by by the fan base at that point. And it's kind of interesting to see like this. We find out in the in the show that he he takes off his helmet and which I think is really funny watching Mando react to that because it's like yeah. it's like, well, let's just have a drink. And then he just immediately takes off the helmet. So Mando immediately <laughs> knows at that point I'm not dealing with a Mandalorian right yeah. like like this isn't happening um the way i thought it would be this guy's just got the armor so then immediately the mission changes to i want to reclaim that armor because that's the right thing that's what i'm mandated to do and it's it's timothy Oliphant playing a character that was in aftermath cadvant i believe his name is yeah. and It was basically a a character that I tried to go back and research about the timelines that that Chuck Wendig was visiting and does it line up with The Mandalorian. And most of the stuff was retroactive in terms of the storytelling involving this character. So it definitely does line up (laughs) canon-wise, which I think Boris is going to be very happy about.
0: Yep. Because you know that my, I guess, fear for... A lot of the new Star Wars stories that we're getting is that because of the comics and the books and the video games and because of the fact that not everyone has access to that, uh, those plot points that on the movies and TV shows, they're just going to rewrite the canon. But I'm happy to see that they are kind of still all connected in, a, in some shape, way, or form.
1: Yeah, and it's important because as fans, we visit that material and form an opinion. And when they retcon it, it's not fun, right? It 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 causes issues for us. So that was definitely kind of cool to see. And then the crate dragon, which or the crate, yeah, they call it a crate dragon. That was interesting for me because I think one of the first images of a new hope was you know that snake like creature, the bones, yeah, skeleton here yeah exactly and and to see it on screen and kind of put two and two together and go oh my goodness this is actually happening like like we're getting into like i say the lore of tatooine you know and 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 really exploring it in a non-insulting way you know what i mean it's not heavy-handed fan service it's well if you care there's this link
0: right it's the subtleties um
1: yeah, the subtleties, and I, I think that that goes a long way, in terms of cultivating the fans, even like placating the fans even more.
2: That's right? true. It was really subtle, right? It wasn't like remember when they they redid the original series and they just digitally added in all these beasts walking around and made it really clunky, right? Like, that was terrible, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas here, you're right. It's just just enough, very subtle.
1: Yeah, and you know, at that point, the the Marshall. And 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 Mando go out to I guess scout the uh, habitation of this crate dragon, and they encounter probably for me one of the most sketchiest scenes, or my least favorite out of this whole episode. And that was the whole the dogs in the in the in kind of like that rocky uh, caveat a crevasse area and then mando like being able to talk to the dogs like <laughs> in, crocodile dundee or something like
2: that. <laughs> yeah at first
1: it came across as like really hokey and then it turns out you know there's the sand people's pets which were introduced in the prequels and i don't know i i just i get it like we're establishing that boba like the mandalorian has a long history linked to tatooine And he did have episode five. Again, one of the parallels. He conversed with the Sand People or the Tusken Raiders by using hand gestures and and negotiating. But he didn't actually break out the whole, you know, language.
2: Yeah, the linguistics, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it just reminded me a little bit of my least favorite sequence out of Solo. When Han talks to Chewie in, like, the Wookiee language. The (laughs) Kashyyykian Like, yeah. it just felt like Oh, come on Like, if I knew I know that Han understands Chewy, But I always thought that that understanding was Loosely based on A little bit of the linguistics And a lot of history mm-hmm. To immediately establish that character relationship As bah, 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 and, uh, Yeah, I'm uncomfortable, man I wouldn't be Extremely fond of that as an actor <laughs> What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, Boris? Yeah, no, Um <clears throat> I'm, I'm rethinking this scene now, and I think it was the most <laughs> kind of like not, not even hokey, just kind of shoehorned in. You know, they could have gone another way to introduce the, um, reintroduce the Sand People and Mando. Uh, yeah, like I can see where you're coming from. I can see where you're coming from, uh, overall, but, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it was what it was. It didn't really feel, it felt sure who horned in and it didn't kind of feel necessary. The grand scheme of things.
2: Yeah, true. yeah. Very, very shoehorned. That was almost like the scene too, where he's, um, where he's trying to find, find the Mandalorian. Right. And he had that quick fight sequence, you know, when they're, when they're, when they're watching the fight, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know they had to develop it somehow to say, you know, how how's he gonna hunt down, how's he gonna get a lead on the on the Mandalorian, but felt it felt a bit shoehorned in there too. Actually yeah. brings up another another thought. What do you guys what are your thoughts on because um, there's John Leguizamo, right? Was the, the yeah. voice and I know they've used Nick Nolte. What are your thoughts on sort of incorporating celebrity into Star Wars, be it the, the Mandalorian or the new movies?
1: Well, I think I think Star Wars can do it or Lucasfilm can do it and not have to really pay for it, and which is why they do it. I think you you get, you know, the Bill Burrs and you get, you know, the voice acting I know you're specifically referencing to. I think those people are happy to do the studio work and happy to have a voice in the Star Wars universe. Sure. And I think, you know, they go, You know what, you could pay me in buttons and I'd do this. Like I really don't care. It's not a paycheck, really. It's, you know, guild rates and way we go and and you get the benefit of attracting that uh, actors fan base because I know that I've had people text me and contact me and say I didn't realize X person was actively in this show I want to watch it now because oh, really? of that yeah because of that they're like I never thought that that person would do Star Wars and here you're telling me that must mean the show really is different you know, in reference to the hype mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I think I think that there's a benefit to it. I don't mind it. As long as the people fit. You know, uh, Nick Nolte doing queel from season one was awesome. It ended up being a great performance, like not only with the with the costume and whatnot, which obviously wasn't him wearing, uh, but just the voicing and and the subtleties there within because a lot of the time we don't even realize these cameos or these voice this voice work is being done right it's it's so subtle that it's like we actually had a debate friday night on the internet where where was john luguisiano's voice like which character was he we saw his name in the end credits but we didn't quite know was he was he the Cyclops or was he someone else? There was legitimate questioning going on on the internet Friday about that until somebody, you know, with authority says, yes, that was him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that now we all hang our hats on it. Boris, what do you think about, about the
0: situation of, of talent recruitment and voice acting in Star Wars? I think that it's a huge benefit. You, like you mentioned, you know, you get to expand your audience through these celebrities um, I think it's it's smart and it's kind of turning into something that Star Wars is known for you know taking an A-list or B-list celebrity and I'm um, you know putting them behind a mask putting them in a monster mm-hmm. suit it's kind of becoming a thing now um, so whatever works to expand the possible Star Wars audience I'm game for um, and you know overall as long as it's not cheesy or out of place or dumb go for it but you know as long as it's kept subtle i can live with it um and hopefully they continue that route yeah for sure
2: yeah the voice the voice i'm fine with the voiceovers that makes sense and like you say like nick nolte knocked it out of the park that was great i just don't want to you know i didn't i didn't enjoy the earlier movies when i'm i'm watching like you're in the and they immerse in the Star Wars universe, and then you're like, "Oh, there's the guy from Party of Five, <laughs> like on the <laughs> yeah. radar screen or whatever." Like, come <laughs> on, you know. So yeah, you want to hide him in a stormtrooper's costume? Go for it. But yeah, uh,
1: well, the the guy, the person, the actor has to fit the role, right? Um, I agree. Like, I I wouldn't be able to handle like like a comedian that didn't fit the place, like Bill Burr last last year and in, in in that heist episode. He he fit like, and he's he's unabashed about the fact that he doesn't care for Star Wars. He's just like I don't give a shit about this universe, like I really don't. Like it, it's it, it's but that's who he is, and that's who his character was, you know. And and that's that's what was expected of that character. It's mm-hmm. like we need you to be hard nosed, run the crew. You're going to be deceiving Mandalor Mando. You're going to be betraying your crew potentially. And you got to kind of be that hard ass, right? And 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 have that presence and command of it. And it's like, yeah. And he also does, you know, F is for family. And he also does, you know, this whole stand-up thing. So I guess the context of knowing him and being able to suspend that is kind of key for that recruitment um, of of the character. Because if it's you know someone who just you just don't respect or. What not? It, it could get awkward for for the sake of doing it, but I think that's why they they do what they do in the recruitment.
2: Well, and they just must have a, a huge demand for it too, right? And from from Hollywood, right, trying to be in that movie, like from everything you've read, right, the shows and the movies. And plus, I think with the pandemic, like a lot of those actors now are like Hollywood's kind of died in a way, right? Everyone's focused on the small box on on the streaming services, right? So there's you don't have these big productions anymore. So for them, it's a way to to stay relevant, I think.
1: Oh, big time. Uh, we talk about that on the show a lot, about the, the refocus of Disney, the refocus of basically media uh, to get, get off those big screens and to get into our homes, right? And especially in a paid subscription format. That's, that's the key towards growing this. And I think a lot of people have come out and said it, and I'll join the their choir here. I want the future of Star Wars to be in television, I, I, I will take away uh, eight hours of each season and happily cut it apart and digest it versus a two hour rushed movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? You look at Rise of Skywalker and how that was absolutely like two movies kind of run in together that was paced in such a, 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 a crazy way. It almost didn't make sense at certain points. It, 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 like we we talked about it with with Joey there last week from Bruise and Blasters about just how euphoric you were afterwards because you didn't know what the hell happened. <laughs> like it was just, like, and then there was the Emperor, and then there was Kylo, and then there was Ray, and then there was this, and then there was that. Whereas I want that story. I want that breakdown. I want. These little nuggets, right? The, uh, being able to explore and think about the Tusken Raiders, probably one of my most disposable races in Star Wars that just have brief influence on anything. And then you find out that they have this whole language, culture, ethos, and point of view. You know, they almost represent Aboriginal kind of of people where they're they're cast off from our society and they're not viewed upon as equal beings or, or people that deserve representation at the table, but they absolutely do. Right. You know, they make reference to it in the next scene where they're like passing around a thing of like this weird water thing that they puncture. And, and Timothy, Oh, like the Marshall is like, I, this smells disgusting. <laughs> I don't want to drink this. And he throws it down and then it agitates and, and, and increases the, the tension between the, the Tuscans and, and, and the, the settlers, you know, the white people, the, the, the people like it really set up that Western of Cowboys versus Indians.
2: And that's a great point. Like I I had flashbacks to like so many Westerns and other movies where you're, they're sitting around, you know, with the indigenous people and they're passing around the peyote. Right. Like, absolutely. So I think you're bang on there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I, like, there's no accidents here. This is John Favreau, right? Like, we have to understand Star Wars, in essence, is a space western, mm-hmm. right? Like it's always been at its root, and this is the literal exploration of that,
0: <laughs> yeah. right, Boris? Yeah, that's exactly it. One point that I wanted to bring up, um, that you did earlier is in regards to, um, you know, the future being in television rather than movies, and I want to add something to that point, and that is though Now on television, and we're really seeing this with Mandalorian, is that, you know, on TV you're not going to get some hokey, uh, campy, kind of low-budget type Star Wars series. You know, like if this were the 90s or the early 2000s, you know, it would not be this. It would not be what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, The budget now for TV shows are just so much higher Um, The visual effects are just so much more practical Um, They're even developing new ways to film Mandalorian, you know, so the budget is there now So I think now that the budget is Not equal to a movie But, you know, comparable in a sense um, And it doesn't look campy, it doesn't look cheesy So I think it's a win-win
1: Yeah, for sure And, you know, it's a good point as well Because I had a friend Who's a norm, a normie he, He's not a huge Star Wars fan He's not sweaty like us And he said Well the special effects, he's like This is the first time where I'm really noticing that The special effects in this TV show Are on par with a movie And that was the signal to him that the transition's on And I'm just laughing My ass off at him because he's a video game guy And I'm like they're using the Unreal Engine To make this, like sure. it literally Is developed and projected On Onto that volume that they've created You know it's all practical effect uh, Even when it's you know Compute like it, it's The characters are reacting to it In real time they've got a really good Sense for what what's happening Instead of like the prequels where it's you know Everything's green and George is like Look over there and act in horror <laughs> yeah. As the giant you know the giant spider Thing attacks you in this In And there's going to be Jedi All around Around and you know what I mean like he's just like imagine this now I need you to because the actors in this case are able to sell the whole experience right because they're experiencing it too and yeah so and you know it's, another comment that I'd seen on the internet uh, and it revolves around the ease of which Timothy Olifont can just take the helmet off and I'm pretty sure that, that created a lot of conflict for Pedro Pascal <laughs> yeah We've all heard those rumors that uh Pedro was unhappy with with how much how much he had to keep the helmet on. (laughs) (laughs) He found it uncomfortable. He wanted to to kind of be in that universe because here he is being on Les. You know, Timothy's just like, Oh, let's have some (laughs) spotchka and pulls off Boba (laughs) Fett's helmet and it's like, Oh, there's Timothy Oliphant's like perfect teeth and and wonderful hair and He's just reprising his role as the Deadwood Marshal, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh man, like yeah, that is pretty rough. Uh, I was a little bit sympathetic with with Pedro at that point, <laughs> but we'll keep on going here. Um, you know, essentially, they they have to. They're now tasked with having to to rouse the town with aligning with the Tuscan Raiders and trying to defeat this crate monster. Uh, this crate dragon, and it's um, they have to go back and sell it to the people, right? And again, Timothy can just you know be himself and you know sit there and go, well, you know here here here's the bad part. We got to kill this thing. It gets even worse though. We got to do it with our supposed enemies. And out of this whole experience, obviously, respect between the two is the inevitable conclusion here. I think. Um. And they had to set that up with some tension in terms of loading the ammo, and getting it on the banthas. Uh, I did like the fact that the banthas all came in, in a line, because single in file. the original Star Wars, you know, the the Tusken Raiders travel in a single in a single file manner, so you can never determine their numbers, right? Obi Wan said that, and yeah, I think this also something for you guys to talk about here will be. I think this also sets up Obi-Wan, the new series with you and McGregor coming out, like starting up next March and probably hitting at the end of next year for Disney Plus. I think there's going to be an absolutely huge tie-in with these Tuscan Raiders, which may be why we're getting them being kind of sold to us and their culture being kinda of, uh, brought to us in this fashion. What are your thoughts on on that? Carl?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, like, they're probably trying to ease us into it and, and get us a little bit familiar with with them, right? So I think anyone, pe- people enjoy familiarity, right? So as long as you can get some of those those familiar concepts in a new show, then, then probably. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Boris? Yeah, so I think that... Um, wh- I think you've you've hit a really good point i do think that they're trying to sell us more on the tuscan raiders showing the relationship with the people who live on tatooine kind of showing that they are willing to work with people as long as you know there's a mutual goal and a deal up front so it's kind of interesting to kind of Expand that and say, okay, this is a plot point that is going to be uh, revisited in an entire new show, entire new scale. Um, so, and and I think that you know one of the reasons why we were in Tatooine in general, um, well, there was a few reasons, but I do believe one of the main reasons was kind of to give us that backdrop of on kind of where Tatooine is post um, Empire. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, you know, part
1: of the the prequel, like the pre story as well. And uh, Timmy only, Timothy only, font. You know, kind of described the town got taken over, and then that's how he became the marshal. Right? He encountered the Mandalorians or the armor on a Jawa uh, cruiser, and you know, he, he uh, the infamous reintroduction of the ice cream maker yeah. <laughs> with the treasure <laughs> in it. Uh, you know they they set up that that part really well, Boris. And thanks, I, I skipped that over in my mind, um, where he had to free the town of those mining people that were turning them into slaves. You know they were re- retuning the town right away, right after the Death Star is destroyed. You know, and the fall of the Empire, uh, goes through here. Here, here they are setting up that, that post-apocalyptic world, <laughs>
2: and I love that. Like the the second they mentioned that. My mind started, like, flash, like, I, I, I lost the show, right? And I just started flash-forwarding to all these, like, infinite possibilities about, yeah, like, post-Empire. Like, what happens to the whole universe? What's going on here or there? And all these scenarios, right? And then, you know, I got drawn right back to the show. But just for that brief instant, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, you're right. It was, just a, it was just a neat uh, neat segue, I thought.
1: Yeah, it's probably the, the biggest area that, that Disney have to mine. Is that space between Empire and and the First Order, right? Like Return of the Jedi and and First Order, you know, Force Awakens. It's a huge uh, time gap, and it offers a lot of storytelling in there. So, and you know, it's going to be interesting to see this rewind into you and McGregor and Obi Wan, because obviously, you oh, and McGregor doesn't befriend the Sand People the same way that Mando does, because Mando can go up to them and say, Hey, how's it going? What's up? You know and, and pet their dogs and and do whatever he wants and negotiate and whatnot and you think about new hope obi-wan has to scare the crap out of them in order yeah. to get them to go away right like leave Luke alone and and does that infamous battle cry and whatnot to, to get them off of Luke so that's going to be I think a point of, of tension in obi-wan but that's speculation on my part
2: so true. That's probably a sign of the times too, right? You think of the seventies versus, you know, now we're just more more tolerant of other societies and ethnicities. Whereas back then you're like, no, somebody else is different from us. Kill them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's check true. Stuff. Right.
1: And I, it's going to be interesting. You know, uh, I, I do like that. That's a really good point, Carl, about how it reflects society today and our, our tolerances and, and, and inclusionary uh, goals. Like, mm-hmm. I think we have a lot, a long way to go here in Canada, as far as that but um, I'd like to see more progress on it but Yeah it's a good good sign when it shows up In popular media like this
0: Yeah, And the so, other parallel with uh, real life Was uh, during um, Cobb Vanth's, uh Backstory You know I love the fact that The day, the night That they got word That the <laughs> second Death Star exploded um, The mining community You know makes their attack So it's like Empire's yeah. gone, you know, all hell's literally breaking loose so that they can, you know, get their ground, you know, claim their territory. Yeah, it, it was pretty stark. It was pretty harsh. Like, there wasn't some,
1: some span of time where it's like, okay, the Empire's gone, peace is returned to the universe or whatever the situation is. It just illustrates an instant anarchy, right? Like, instant political destabilization just with sure. that happening.
2: And you guys think the huts were gone too, right? So there's another vacuum yeah. as well. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. And they would be recently gone, right? Mm-hmm. Because this this is all on the heels of literally days after the huts, yeah. at least one of the major huts, yeah, has been taken out. So we we walk this forward a little bit and we see basically they go through and, and do some some big work together to to plant these explosives. There's the inevitable battle. And, you know, obviously in a very dramatic way, um, there's, you know, our one last hope again. I thought some of the dialogue in this area was a little bit weak. I just think that, you know, the way that, that, that the Mandalorian... Kind of set up that last, you know, it, it, we're going to get it to eat the, the bantha with the explosives laden on it after a uh, failure with the original plan. And not really communicating that, Timothy Oliphant, like to the marshal and, 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 and saying to him like, hey, I need you to do this or, or give me the, um, the detonator and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trick it into swallowing the bantha. No, he's just like, give it to me. This is our only hope. You know, that type of, of attitude about this thing. And he had the time to expand on it It wasn't like it was like this This He sees it and he's got two seconds to act um, And there's also the point That I picked up on right away That he basically just Nicked that backpack and away it goes again There's something defective <laughs> About that Mandalorian backpack
2: you know, Yeah, the extra button on the back <laughs> Yeah Because
1: it seems like everybody knows that exploit You know Han Solo blind Can kill Boba Fett By hitting that backpack And then here we have them like, go protect the child.
2: So yeah, it's just,
1: it was kind of the funny, it was a parallel. Obviously it was, I I think again, it was reaching out to the fans and, uh, showing what they can do. Um, but like, you know, like that consistency within the universe, I guess. And, and it it becomes a meme, right? Just like the ice cream maker.
2: Um, yeah, I thought when I saw it, like you could I could almost picture, you know, all the writers and the producers sitting around, you know, talking about and building the story in the room. Like one guy's like, yeah, and like let's have them hit the backpack button and then it will shoot off <laughs> just like, you know, and they're all dying laughing or something. I could just yeah. totally picture that.
1: Oh yeah. And you know what? Like it it's one of those things that Star Wars does hokey things sometimes. And I think that this held consistent within that decision process. Like one thing that maybe it's a facepalm For some people but another for other people That are like oh my goodness that was That was beautiful you know what I mean I, I don't know where exactly I land on it I'd lean towards more the facepalm But I do get it I do Enjoy it's awkwardness And exploitive Callback I guess um,
0: Boris what do you think About all of that stuff Did you pick up on any of it Yeah I picked up on it and again Um I was more. I don't know. I I've I, I've only seen this episode once, so the first time I watched anything, I kind of just take it for what it is. Um, typically, if one when I start picking stuff like those subtle stuff up, it's more like second, third viewing. Um, but it was kind of funny, and it again it kind of um, re reinf- to me it also reinforced the fact that in case you had any doubt that this was. Boba Fett's old armor. We're gonna do this callback to something that you know you all recognize.
1: Yeah, and here's another f- way that I think that callback happened, or or will be foreshadowing something. The fact that the Mandalorian goes into the beast detonates yeah. the the bantha. You know, like he 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 shoots his way out, electrifies the the the, the crate dragon with his. You know, Mando' magic wand there, and um, goes flying out, detonates the thing, and then it explodes everywhere. Like the the spitting of the acid surprised me with that creature's attack. Like first off, I thought that that was a little bit next level for for Mandalorian to do. Uh, it was a little bit gross, and and definitely up the stakes in that battle. Um, like I I don't fully like I, I think that it, it leads us to. Some kind of inevitability that if they want to close off how Boba Fett escaped the Sarlacc, it's going to either involve him fighting his way out of its guts, or there's also the possibility that the crate Dragon ate the Sarlacc and that freed the Mando,
2: like yeah. that freed Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Like, did they I, allude to that or no? Didn't they say? They it, did.
1: It? Yeah, There was a statement, but... It was very vague. It didn't. It didn't specify. So you're kind of left to think, did the crate dragon eat the sarlacc? Because you know the comment is, it's an abandoned sarlacc nest. And I go, well, there, I've lived on this planet for my whole life, and I'm, I've never heard of that. Basically, was was what Cad Vanth had said regarding sarlacs. And you know, you digest over a thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. As we know from Return of the Jedi. Uh, and it's very painful. So it does seem to indicate that you are alive for the suffering. So it's not right. like you get ingested. You, you're dead. And then obviously Boba Fett has a lot of toys on his pack. I, I, I prefer to think of him escaping with, I guess, with the aid of this crate Dragon and then just getting the heck out of there. His armor is so compromised or he wants to walk away from from being that person. He wants a different life. Yeah. Because eventually we see... Just so we can all get to the conclusion and give a wrap, um, we get to the point where we see a mysterious character. You know, the, the, Cad, uh, Cad gives the armor back to Mando very amicably and peacefully, which I think, you know, he's shown his commitment to the town, so he doesn't feel that he needs to be armored in that way. He feels that the townspeople will probably have his back going forward as the marshal. And he gives the armor up very, very, you know, appropriately Mando, you know, to all the people that called it out in the trailer that did all the freeze frames and identified that the backpack was on the speeder bike on that outgoing shot. Congrats to you because you were bang on. So I know in the, in the future when you guys deconstruct <laughs> these trailers, I will give it a little more attention myself. Um, he basically like it ends with him taking off and, and, you know, with a big hunk of meat as well of the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> dinner. Yeah, exactly. He's got dinner for a while. Um, and we see basically the the uh, Boba Fett nowadays standing there in Tuscan with a Tuscan Raider gun and the pike um, and some dark robes watching him go off. And it, it's the original actor from. Uh, Jango Fett. So it's the logical growth of Boba, the, his clone. Yeah. So
0: I don't know. Like, and he
1: looked injured. He didn't look like a happy boy. Yeah, he was old scarred. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, and it was kind of cool. Like, you know, you kind of knew at some point. Um, you know, there was the tease. Um, you know, with the armor, the fact that we're on tattooing the fact that we are looking for other Mandalorians. Um, you know, you were kind of expecting At this point That Boba Fett would show up um, But the way that they did the reveal Was like really bang on, really cool um, You know, and it's kind of like The hunter being the hunted now Like, you know, why is Boba Fett Watching over Mando um, It obviously wasn't, you know, by by chance I feel like there was something more to it um, So you know, it it really does a great job of not only, you know, boom, Boba Fett's back, but now we can think and build upon this over the entire season. Like, it'll be interesting when they revisit this, because uh, I could, you know, probably, Bando's going to probably leave Tatooine at this point. So, who knows what the plan is. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think I'll, I'll, I'll point like everything points to the fact that it is probably Boba, but don't we have to sort of discuss the fact that it might not be Boba? Oh. Like it could be some sort of other clone or something. Yep.
1: Um, I think we're pretty pretty firm in knowing it. it's it's Boba Fett because Boba Fett is accredited with being in every episode <laughs> this season. Oh, okay, or well. or you know, there's that hint. It's a rumor. But as well they, they titled it it could be a clone. You're right. It, it very much could be. But I think the actor's own website lists him as portraying Boba Fett. Oh, okay. So I think the, the mystery is, is kinda off on that. Um so I, I I think that's where we're we're supposed to be leaning our speculation, um, deliberately by Lucasfilm at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean it makes sense. All, you know, everything points to that. It, you know, and it's a beautiful tie in, so that's that was my first thought too, but then as you know, I thought about it and digested it a bit. I was like, "Well, wait a minute. There, that's is that too obvious? Maybe it's not. Maybe that's what I want, and maybe there's another angle or something they're going for." But
1: yeah, and further into that speculation um, thing, it's rumored that Boba Fett will be getting his own Disney Plus series. Mm-hmm. So I I I just don't know. It's interesting that Boris brought up that he thinks it's going to lead to a potential conflict, which is always a possibility. Uh, especially with a reveal of a character like that. I don't know. Is it, does it also represent the point that there maybe is a potential collaboration? Because to me, seeing Boba in those robes, and I know they're not specifically Sand People robes. So like, first of all, I watched that first episode with headphones on. And when Boba walks, he makes the noise, he makes the jangle, the Spurs jangle from episode five. And every time Boba Fett's on screen, he makes that noise when he walks. So, it's an audio cue to all the fans that it's, it's actually Boba as well. That mm-hmm. further reinforces it, but it's really subtle one. It's a deep, deep cut. Um, if you don't have your audio tweaked, you'll miss it. Um, I think that that it sets up that maybe, maybe there's going to be that the potential tie-in is going to be Boba trying to reclaim his armor, either through conflict or earning it back from the Mandalorian and trying to actually have to prove. And the Mandalorian needs Boba. He, he doesn't need the armor. That's just like, Oh shit. Now I got a mission to find where I can get rid of this stuff and, and, and properly care for it. But his real mission was to find a Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's debate and whatnot about like, first of all, that armor isn't, isn't the armor is in Beskar? It's durasteel, according to canon. So I think there's some retconning that's going to happen on the Star Wars website about that, because obviously they're establishing that this is a pretty darn strong set of armor. Um, there's also going to be the fact that that you know people will say that Boba Fett isn't a true Mandalorian, but I think that that will be retconned as well, because they, they basically started that process by stating that Mandalorian a creed, not a race. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that there's a, a, obviously an exciting large amount of, of crossover now. Maybe it has to do with merchandising as well. Like there's it's just so much stuff here uh, on the plus side for Disney. I just hope they don't mess it up. And basically, I see that this whole episode very much mirrored the first episode of season one, like episode or chapter one, because we have this whole build up all the way through the episode. And then at the end of the first chapter, we get Baby Yoda. I think this sets up that Baby Yoda this time is Boba Fett. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the whole build up. And then here's Boba Fett for two seconds on your screen. And guess what? He's going to be the most important character going for this season.
2: You know? I certainly hope so. And after all, the show is called The Mandalorian. So, you know. Yeah. You kind of, like, that's your first thought when, you know, they created the season. You're like, is Boba back in this somehow? Like, that's that was literally my first thought. Yeah.
1: It's exciting. So, there we have it, folks. That is episode nine, which feels weird to say, uh, this episodic count. Season two, episode one. It's in the books. What are all of our reactions? Boris,
0: how do you feel about this whole thing, this whole experiment, you know, oh, after well. the deep dive that we did? I'm fairly positive I'm liking this I'm enjoying this good chat get to talk our, you know arguably the biggest show this uh, fall I'm enjoying this
1: yeah it's definitely something that we're gonna be exploring week to week now uh, and posting a special spoiler episode yeah and hopefully getting some guests to join us like Carl did today yeah, Carl yeah. any any final thoughts on the excitement level have we amped it up for you or is it meeting expectation or skewering below? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm 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 loving it. I'm enjoying the ride. Um certainly anything uh, that provides us with a bit of a normalcy in this crazy world, <laughs> in this pandemic world is is uh welcome right um i i enjoyed it like i said i didn't love um the first season of mandalorian but i i, I definitely thought this was an improvement on it maybe that was i don't know if that was five directing but um or maybe it was just so many um bones and and homages um to the original series for the fans but uh, i definitely thought it was an improvement on on season one
1: yeah for sure well I, I, as everybody knows i'm going to be excited i don't care it, Star Wars is an awful lot like pizza, even if it's bad, it's good, just like Fearless Fred always says, yep. so I think this is a, was a very good pizza, yep. <laughs> for the records out there, right. um, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to, Carl, I want you to tell people about your great brewery, and about your products that you're offering, and where they can get them
2: Sure, that's awesome. Thanks, Phil. Um, yeah, so we're a, a relatively newish company, about three and a half years old. Um, we're based out of Newmarket, Ontario. And you can find our our stuff, um, sort of spattered across York region. Um, various bars and restaurants when they're open, uh, most of them are closed right now. Uh, a few local grocery stores, such as like Vince's, and there's you know some Sobies and Loblaws's, um, but then mostly sort of LCBO as well. So you can find us at a lot of the LCBO so if you go to lcbo.com you can look them up and and find our beers such as uh, Make Tracks and then of course uh, our collaboration with the Red Red Patch Boys the Red X Red Ale.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And and if if people want to order it off your website, obviously I, I know that you do some some delivery options and and some ordering options. Where can they find that website? 100%.
2: So um, our, our website is uh, www rtbrewing.ca so just rt brewing is short for red thread brewing Um, you can also hit us any way you want email text phone call direct message on social which is actually a a way a lot of people order now rather than sort of traditional website they just um, usually reach out to us and you're right we do do home delivery and we can get it turned around uh, pretty quick for you so that's keeping us uh, alive during these times
1: yeah and what's what's your I, I see that you do a lot of work on instagram what's your instagram handle because I know i follow and i see you guys posting lots of great pictures and experiences uh mountain biking and i know with you're very active in in the, the snow sports as well like skiing snowboarding stuff like that which is obviously you know all linked to make tracks and whatnot and you even have a covid beer as well uh, to yeah. benefit you know some of the local area workers and whatnot during this this crisis right so what's yep. your instagram uh, handle?
2: Yeah, 100%. So everything's RT Brewing. So it's at RT Brewing. Um, that's, you know, be it Twitter or Instagram. And you're right, we do do a lot with the with the snow sports. And yeah, our COVID beers um, kind of taking off. It's done well. And we give uh, $5 to the uh, Southlake Hospital for every case uh, purchased.
1: Awesome. Well, I just got to say thank you for all your hard work. Um, I, you know I've been a customer for a long time now. Uh, and we have that collaboration with our soccer, with TFC, with the red patch boys uh it's been just uh such a pleasurable experience and and it's kind of why boris and i were talking about it we said like we really got to get carl onto the show um just to talk about this whole thing and this whole effort because it is such an important part of our community and we got to look out for our local businesses everyone so maybe next time that you're in the beer store or you're at home wanting some 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 beer to to drink Let's not give the money to Molson's and whatnot. Let's think about our local community and our local craft breweries. You know, all of them are needing our help right now. So I just want to thank you and Boris for joining me in our first breakdown of Season 2 Mandalorian.
0: And this is Phil. I'm going to throw it over to Boris to take us out, my friend. Thanks, Phil. That's right. This was Mandalorian. Chapter 9 review on the It's Canon podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things geek. We talk a little bit about comic books, a little bit about video games, toys, Star Wars, Lego, beer, anything and everything. And Phil, Carl, do you know what the best part about all of this is?
1: I heard somewhere on the internet that it's all in canon.
0: There you go. So I just
1: also want to point out to everybody... You can find us at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can track us down on Insta- uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at itscanonpodcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, anywhere that you find podcasts, you're going to find the It's Canon Podcast. And yeah, folks, be safe out there. Smash the subscribe button. Leave us some comments. And uh, I hope everybody's safe. And, uh, We'll talk to you soon.
0: Take care.